Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Today is Thursday, February the 20th. We are reading from the big book on page 91, the second paragraph, When Your Man is Better. Today's readers are The 12 Steps, Roz G., 12 Traditions, Loretta H., and readers of the text, Katie G., Allison L., and Martha Z. The reference numbers for yesterday, Wednesday, February the 19th, the 7 a.m. meeting, 14140, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 14141. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Roz G. to read the 12 steps. Please go ahead, Roz. Press star one, Roz. Thank you. Uh, this is Roz G. I was muted. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the We lost you, Roz. Okay, we were on step 11 there. Why don't I just finish that off? 11, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Roz G. And the 12 traditions, Loretta H. Please go ahead, Loretta. Good morning, and thank you all for your wonderful service. This is Loretta H. from Raleigh, compulsive overeater, anorexic. Praise with God's abstinence for today. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry the message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other media, media communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities, and thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Loretta H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass 
Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are on page 91, the second paragraph, When Your Man is Better. And Katie G, could you get us started, please? I can. Good morning, Lynn. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Boston. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of this first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. You know, um, I had so much anger and resentment against my family. I blamed them for my food addiction. I thought it was their fault. So I think it's pretty good to keep my family out of the picture. Um, I also know for me, um, nobody could surrender for me, right? This is an inside job. Um, But I think what I really wanted to talk about is um, the most powerful line. He may be more receptive, open-minded, broad-minded, when, when depressed, you know, we're so blessed by this Vision for You meeting. We hear a lot of different angles of approach on sponsorship, right? And uh, all I'm going to give you is mine, what's worked for me, what hasn't. And the good news is there's a nut for every wrench. As long as we're following this book and these 12 steps, we're good to go. I think for me, what was the most powerful, um, uh, I don't know what it is, when I finally surrendered was help me. Tell me what to do. I called a woman in whom the problem has been solved, and I did not interview her. I knew she was somebody in whom the problem was, that had been solved. I knew that she was someone who no longer suffered from food addiction. And I called her, and I was out of ideas. Receptive is open-minded, open to new ideas. I was not sitting there saying, I've been in relapse for 10 years and this is what I need as a sponsor. I've been in relapse for 10 years and I'm not putting down the Ezekiel bread. You know, there are so many ways in which I fought the food. I fought the food and I fought sponsors with the food. And I was like, no, I have to have this. But, you know, it's craziness, right? Because normal people don't rationalize, justify, and defend their right to eat food. And today as a recovered woman, if I get to the end of my life and Jesus, Buddha, or Allah, or whoever it is, says to me, Katie G, you could have had aspartame that whole time, which is crazy. I'll be like, thanks, God. Thanks for the information. I'm okay because it's food, right? So I, 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 when I was that in that much pain, I, I, I became teachable. And that is the point of this whole program. You know, I am just astonished that this program isn't about teaching me things. It's about unlearning everything I think I know. That is the problem. When I am the I know guy, I am unteachable. I used to, when this meeting first started and I was recovered, I became unteachable. I cut my ears off. I stopped listening and I became an ego and I was talking on the line and then going to work and exercising bulimically and I could not ask for help. And I'm so grateful today that I don't lie, I don't argue, I don't justify, I don't rationalize, I surrender, right? And the best part about being recovered today is that my tolerance for pain is a lot less. I'll wrap up with this, Lynn, is that I start to feel pain and all I know is I need to throw up my hands and say, hey, God, what do you got for me? And then I call someone. I call one of my people and I say, "Tell me, help me, tell me what to do. Those are the magic words. And with that, I pass. 
Thank you, Katie G. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. I'd like to encourage those who haven't shared in the last two days to take this opportunity. Please say your name just once as it helps me hear everyone. Who would like to share? Kim G. Vicki V. Leslie W. Esther K. Becca R. I can take one more if there anybody would like to share. Lauren N. Okay, that's great. Thank you, everyone. I'll tell you who I've got. Kim G, Vicki V, Lauren N, Esther K, Becca R. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm and Lauren N. I'm Miss Leslie W. Sorry, let me try it once more. Kim G, Vicki V, Leslie W, Esther K, Becca R, and Lauren N. Kim, please get us started. Thank you. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I've been recovered since January 2011. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. I love that line. You know, I think of my own experience when I came into OA, and I was told to try six meetings, see if you like it, get abstinence for 30 days, three months, and maybe try these steps. You know, when I was in relapse, um, you know, I've always thought to myself, well, let me lose some weight before I go back to OA or let me get control of my food and maybe then I'll look for a sponsor. You know, and maybe sometime early on in my disease, I could kind of string some days together. Um, but, you know, the big book is telling us the exact opposite. Because when am I most willing? It's when I'm in the most pain. The big book tells us over and over again, food beat us into a state of reasonableness. In the face of total destruction, I can't live with the food, I can't live without the food, that life was becoming impossible, that food was my master, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I simply cannot make it, and I get drunk again. And the big book says, awesome, awesome when you're coming off a run. Let's go get them. Let's go get them now. You know, in AA, my friends in AA, because there's not a lot of food rehabs left, but my friends in AA say they don't wait the person's getting out of rehab and has their 28 days or 90 days, they go in the rehab when they're detoxing because that's when they're most willing. You know, a lot of the early AAs used to carry alcohol in their trunks to help someone come off the DTs. And I think today we're afraid to talk to people who are still eating. We're afraid to be around people who are eating because we think it's contagious. Yet this is an awesome, awesome opportunity. The big book is telling us over and over again, these first four or five pages, it's problem, problem, problem. Why? Because they're most receptive. The page before told us at the end of a spree, wait for that lucid interval because that's when they're going to be listening to you. And I have to tell you, that's one of the reasons I love my home group. My home group is on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. We get a lot of people coming in that we're binging Saturday night. It's exciting. We've actually instituted after our meeting a step one meeting afterwards for those that are still shaken from the, from the binges the night before. They can come, and that's where a lot of our people who are newly recovered go to grab those sponsees at the time they're most willing. You know, my, my home group is in a hospital, and one of my greatest joys is I can leave that meeting 45 minutes later 
And as I'm walking out of the hospital, I see clusters of twos and threes. Someone's taking a fifth step. Someone's taking a couple people through the doctor's opinion. Someone's helping someone go over amends. Because it's when we are most desperate that we're going to take that direction. So take advantage of that desperation, not only as a sponsor, but those of you on the line who are sponsees or who haven't gotten a sponsor yet, take advantage of your desperation and call someone today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Vicki V, it's your turn, followed by Leslie W. Please go ahead, Vicki. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you for your service today. Vicki V from Long Island, New York, recovered sugar addict and binger and restrictor. I, it's such a simple paragraph, but what jumps out for me is the word receptive. The description of receptive, receptive is willing to consider or accept new suggestions and ideas. And I remember when I had the spiritual awakening going through these steps, probably the third time with an OA sponsor, um, psychic change, the part, and I don't know the numbers of the pages yet where all the wonderful quotes that I love, but the psychic change had to, had to happen. And that's when it hit me like, whoa, I have to stop saying I know. I have to stop thinking that I can or can't do something. I can control or not control something. I have to figure out recovered fellows were telling me we're taking the time to tell me that was my problem, that I was in the eye. And it wasn't until I was my most jittery, my most depressed, my most hopeless, that I heard and was willing to do whatever it was that they did to get where they were. And even in that, I tried to be perfect in the beginning. I even told a sponsor, I'm like, I'm going to be your perfect sponsee. And I heard it because of the psychic change. And that psychic change is needed in me in order to also share that experience with people who reach out to me. My sponsee can see, you know, that I have been where she is going. And I so freely give to her what was given to me. And it is through this exchange, while working the steps, while working this program, in every aspect of my life, because food is not my problem, it's my solution. So while I'm working on this, I'm also looking at how this book helps me with my anxiety, my fear, my depression, my self-reliance, all of those things. And with that, with, by doing that, my life is infinitely uh, better today because I'm not in charge. Thank you for letting me share, Lynn, and everybody have a lovely day. With that, I pass. Thank you, Vicki V. Leslie W., it's your turn, followed by Esther K. Please go ahead, Leslie. Thank you for your service. This is Leslie W., um, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Tennessee. And I just, there's just one sentence that stood out for me when I was reading this was that <clears throat> under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. You know, I think that's the reason why frothy emotional appeal doesn't work for us. It's pressure. And I don't know about you guys, but I felt under pressure my entire life, pressure to perform, pressure to be a good student, pressure to be a good, you know, um, artist, pressure to be a good daughter, a good sister, a good, I don't know, I still feel that, I still feel that pressure, whether that's put on by others or whether that's put on by myself, you know, um, 
a lot of times it's not even some, sometimes it's not even about other people. It's, it's about myself, the pressure that I put on myself to be a certain way, um, which, you know, honestly, it, it gets in the way of what God is trying to do in my life because I'm no longer, I no longer care what God wants for me. All I care about is living up to the expectations that either others set or I set for myself. It's a very, very dangerous thing because that target is always going to be a moving target and that I'm never going to be able to hit, ever. Why? Because I'm an imperfect human being. Um, and so it was so, it's so important to, you know, be able to walk into a meeting or get on the phone um, with someone and hear the message being presented in a way that is not, um, that does not have an agenda, right? Because everybody's got an agenda. But what is our aim? Our only aim is to what? Be helpful. Be helpful. And that is why I love the Rooms of Overeaters Anonymous because that was the first time in my life that I ever walked into a room and did not feel like someone wanted something from me. I was just there, just one among many. And so I'm really grateful for all of you today, um, and I'm grateful to be one among many that I passed. Thank you, Leslie W. Esther K., it's your turn, followed by Becca R. Please go ahead, Esther. Hi, um, this is Esther K., covered compulsive overeater. Like this, while he is still literary, I think that I myself needed to call on myself when I was still jittery because that's when I felt the depression and that's when I felt I really needed to do um, my job and I could only do it once I felt depressed and felt that I had no control and that's when I felt that um, I need um, I, I could I need a sponsor and I need to do the whole the whole 12 steps and not stop till I get what everybody else has, um, and which I hear so beautifully on a vision for you. Being being depressed and being um, feeling like there is no way, there is um, the only way is the way down. The only way is that I will eat myself to death. That was the only push that made me want to do it and um and I feel that unless I have that kind of desperation that kind of um feeling then then I'm not I won't be open to do what I need to do and I guess that also applies to any sponsee who comes to who comes and wants help um if they are really really desperate then they'll stick to it no matter what but if they still feel that they can control anything, then at some point they might say, oh, thank you so much. This is enough for me. 
Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Esther K. Becca R., it's your turn, followed by Lauren N. Please go ahead, Becca. Hey, good morning, guys. It's Becca R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, calling in from Kentucky. Um, it really makes me think of uh, a phrase that my fishing friends use, and it's called setting the hook. And it's like when you feel that fish bite on the hook, you, you kind of yank the pole to set that hook into the fish's mouth. And I felt like for me, I needed my hook set. Um, and it comes in that, you know, very small window of opportunity. For me, it was following my last bench. You know, I'm in that self-loathing, self-hating, but willing. I have that willingness. As only the, the book says, is only the, the willingness that only the dying can have. And, uh, and my sponsor set that hook in me with hope and promise and, you know, looking uh, at her experience. Um, and, you know, it, it was always easy for me to get one, two, three, maybe even a week uh, worth of days clean. You know, the further I'd get out from that last um, binge, you know, the ease and comfort would set in and I would think, well, maybe this time it will be different. But when she set the hook with that um, encouragement and, and just sharing her story, getting to know my story, saying, hey, you know, if this works for me, there's no reason it can't work for you too. Um, I was just like you. I was just as hopeless as you. And this, this is my life now. Um, and then immediately uh, getting into the work, you know, starting in the big book, starting those, you know, half hour to hour long conversations each day that were strictly guided around the literature and recovery and um, slowly getting to know one another. Uh, you know, it was like, I had to be enthralled in the program because eventually, you know, it was two weeks in, three weeks in, a month in, and uh, and it just, you know, I was able to just throw myself into the work until I got the spiritual experience that comes with working the 12th step. Um, that was something new for me. I'd always wanted what you had, and I wanted to take, you know, your your food plan or this part of your program or that part of your program, but the program for me is, is the work doing the 12 steps. So it's 164 pages studying diligently. And um, I'm just so grateful for all the great mentors on the line and the special editions that really have helped me to, um, to know, you know, what it's like to both be a sponsor and to, to be a sponsee. Um, and it, it should never for me, it, it should never come hard, it, you know, as willing as the dying can be, you know, and when I find those people who are, are dying, uh, they have the willingness. There's no, there's no pulling. There's no making you do any, you know, you, you suit up, you show up, you do the Fine, work. Fine, please. Um, grateful to be here with you guys today. Thanks, I pass. Thank you, Becca R. And Lauren N., it's your turn. Please go ahead. Press star one to unmute, Lauren. Sorry, I thought I was unmuted. I was talking to myself. Thank you, Lynn S. This is Lauren N. from New York, compulsive overeater, sugar addict, and um, crazy person altogether. Um, I am so 
I am so moved by this. Um, well, I'm so moved by the fact that I was approached when I was down, when I was um, totally lost. And that's when I finally gave up. I remember it so clearly. I had come, I thought I was abstinent for a time. And um, I thought I was being sugar free. But I had gone to a party and all I could see were the sugary items that were at the engagement party. I didn't see the, the couple that were that were getting that were engaged. I took pictures of the cakes and cookies and candies because they were calling me. I thought I had been abstinent for six months at that point. But I had been reinfecting myself with with sugary substance in the way of um, artificial sweetener or um, being down lower on the ingredient list. I hadn't read every single label. And I went to my morning, my Sunday morning meeting and I talked to someone and she said, keep coming back. It will work if you work it. And I was like, really? Come on. You don't have anything else to say. But wow. I heard the message. I went home. I listened to probably, you know, Ruth M. I listened to all the podcasts about abstinence. And that next day, I started not having any sugary substance at all. It took me four days, three to four days to feel recovered and to feel out of. And I was not yet working with a sponsor from this program. I was working with another sponsor that um, didn't have the entire abstinence that I was looking for and that I needed. Wow, what a difference my life has been. Thank God for that August 22nd, 2019. I haven't had another bite of anything with sweetener in it. And I don't miss it. Wow. Thank you all for teaching me these, les these lessons and for helping me get here and for helping me be a recovered person today, 140 pounds down, wearing the same size I wore last winter, wearing the same size I'm going to wear next summer. How incredible that is. Thank you all. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lauren N. For those of us who might have come on the line a little bit later, we are in the chapter Working with Others on page 91, the second paragraph, When Your Man is Better. Um, I'd like to take this opportunity to ask those who haven't shared in the last two days who put their name forward for sharing? Who would like to share? Linda D. Pete B. Teresa Lane C. Okay, let me just tell you who I heard in case I missed someone. I got Linda D., Pete B., Teresa C., Lane C. Was there someone else? Maureen H. Somebody H. Maureen H. Yes. 
And I can take one more, please. Christina J. Perfect. Okay, let me tell you who I heard. I have Linda D, Pete B, Teresa C, Lane C, Maureen H, and Christina J. Linda D, please go ahead. Linda, press star one to unmute. Okay. It looks morning, like we lost. Everyone. Oh, yeah. There she Good is. morning, everyone. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Sorry. Uh, it's Linda D from Connecticut. The word that jumps out at me is jittery. It's very important for me always to remember that I'm jittery. I'm an addict. I don't care if I've been in program a million years. I'm jittery underneath. It's a nervous disposition. And so are they, the person that I'm talking to. I'm, re, I'm unlearning. Someone mentioned this. I'm unlearning an awful lot. And um, one thing is, anyone I approach, I want to treat them as if they are, whether they're arrogant and loud-mouthed or, and they know it all or whether they're the opposite of that, to treat them as if they are worthy of respect and to be listened to. And they will tell exactly where they're at. I have some experience and I've sponsored. So I have some experience to know listening is really important. Compassion is really, really important. These people are frightened and they don't want pressure. They want compassion. Doesn't mean I'm going to enable them. It means I'm going to listen. I'm not a cop. I'm not there to nab them. They have to want it and they have to realize that this is a good place to be and a good fellowship. And how are they going to realize that? By the grace of God. And I'm an emissary at that instant for this higher power. And that higher power is love and listening and quietness, calmness at the center and letting them be where they're at. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Linda D. And next up, we have Pete B, followed by Teresa C. Please go ahead, Pete. Thank you, moderator. Pete B, compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy. Thanks for taking me. Thanks for calling on me. Um, you know, at, at, th- at this stage of the game, right, we have worked the first 11 steps, and we have, bec- we have learned a great deal. Right, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're going to transfer information at some point to this newcomer, right? And what it's what it's talking about here is that we see this person that he may be more receptive when depressed. This is not this is not the opportunity to start selling the person on the promise of the program, right? The next paragraph is going to talk about what we what we are to say and what and how that conversation is supposed to go with this prospect. This is the opportunity to really drive home the hopelessness of the condition, right? It's a, you know, we, we work really, really hard and we have so much compassion and so much support and so much love and we want everybody to get better, right? We often want to go to them and tell them how everything's going to be okay. But this message, right, the message that the book delivers was put together in a specific sequence for the, for the sick and suffering. And it starts with the doctor's opinion, 
which describes the condition as a hopeless, fatal condition, progressive in nature, that only gets worse, never better. And that's the message that needs to be articulated to this individual, right? In working with others, it says that the more hopeless the candidate is, the better off, our, the, 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 the better, uh, the better off they'll be. Right? So we don't need to rush in and try to sell them on how great life is going to be when they recover. What we have to start doing is conveying the message of the severity of this condition. Because right? if they're any way like me, I'm always going to hold on to the promise that someday it's going to get better. I am going to overcome this. There will be a new strategy, a new program, right? a new philosophy, a new code of morals. That's going to enable me to get better. Right? What I had to latch on to was the severity of what I'm dealing with. And until we take this condition as severe and fatal and, and, and just all out deadly as it, as it actually is, We'll never take it serious enough to 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 100% submit and surrender. And I'm so grateful for the recovered individuals that that shared that message with me and didn't try to prod me with the hope and the promise and the feel good and the and you know all of the things that we tend to want to tell newcomers that everything's going to be okay. If you have this condition as described in this book, everything's not going to be okay unless you surrender and stop putting those substances in your body 100% and find a power for which you could live. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Pete B. Teresa C., it's your turn, followed by Lane C. Please go ahead, Teresa. Good morning. This is Teresa C. from Western Massachusetts. The uh, sentence I'd like to talk about is, he will feel candid with you without being nagged by his family. While my weight has fluctuated my whole life, I personally have never been morbidly obese, but I've been very chubby and heavy set, and I've been very thin. I realized that my eating problem needed to be addressed only after my drinking problem had been. I no longer drank to stuff my feelings I ate, and I was hurting myself with food by overeating, purging, and obsessing. But because I have been at a healthy weight for the last few years, my mother was really upset when I told her I was participating in OA. I tried to explain it to her. I tried to explain that it was a thinking problem and that eating was my solution, that I wanted to fix my thinking. She said to stop trying to be perfect. And I share this because my family really loves me and they really care about me. And they don't want to think of me as anything other than being perfect and they don't share my problem so they don't understand my thinking but when I call in and I work with my sponsor I'm with fellows that do understand a hundred percent of what I'm thinking and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and I'm certainly very grateful to have this family in addition to my personal family because you all understand me in a way that they cannot. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Teresa C. Lane C., it's your turn, followed by Maureen H. Please go ahead, Lane. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, This is uh, Lane C., recovered compulsive overeater in Rochester, New York. I'm so grateful for all the shares that have have, um, come thus far. And, 
You know, I, just, I wanted to share just a bit about my own personal experience, which is, you know, a year ago, um, I was, I had been in this program for a while and a year ago I realized that I was in the midst of a relapse and a relapse that snuck up on me in a way. And I called a year ago yesterday, a woman in whom the problem had been solved and shared with her some of what was going on for me. Um, and, um, what she did at that moment was to say, all right, tonight, I want to invite you to get honest with your higher power for an hour. And if you realize, if you, you know, if you can really accept the fact that you've had a relapse, if there is like no argument, if your like last defenses are down, then give me a call tomorrow. And so this morning, thankfully, thank God, um, I, I gave her a call a year ago this morning and, and said, all right, let's get going. Um, and what she did was exactly what um, someone, you know, in, in recent shares just shared. She, she really helped me to get to a place of really true, true hopelessness. Um, and what happened in that hour with my higher power was to sit with that hopeless feeling and to sit with the fact that, yes, indeed, I had had a relapse in this program while I was, you know, attempting to work steps in this program, um, I had had a relapse and, um, and really getting to how, how I had been truthfully licked this time. Um, this didn't come from, you know, um, times when folks had, had made themselves available here and there. This came from someone in whom I knew that there was really strong recovery. It came from me approaching her. It had nothing necessarily to do um, with my family. Um, what, it, what it really had to do with was just reaching out to someone while I was still in that jittery and tough state and getting deep down into the hopelessness and spending some time there in step one in the days ahead. Um, and I'm so grateful for the ways that that um, that sponsor brought me through the steps, brought me through the steps quickly and helped me to really get to that place. And I hope that for any one of you that is in the midst of coming off of a night of binging last night or a morning of binging this morning, that you feel jittery enough and befogged enough to reach out to someone desperate enough, really, to reach out to someone in that hopeless state. Um, and I hope that that person can can help you get honest with your higher power and really come to terms with that hopelessness and move forward with these steps. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lane C. Maureen H., it's your turn, followed by Christina J. Please go ahead, Maureen. Good morning. Maureen H., Recover Compulsive Eater in South Florida. Two main things I really want to share with this short paragraph. Um, the first being that idea that, you know, go to him when he's still jittery or depressed, you know. And I, you know, the thing I always found with this disease, especially later in my recovery when I was still trying to weasel out, um, you know, my compulsive foods and compulsive food behaviors, is that idea of like, oh, well, I'll have a little bit of the sugar or the this or the that, and I won't immediately have binge, so I must be able to tolerate it. Like that lie that a little bit's not going to hurt me. And here, this, you know, your prospect, your person, they're very clearly on the bender or just off the bender. And they're not in that state of delusion, you know, like I had been so many times. Because you couldn't come to me with a message of depth and weight telling me entire abstinence if I was still eating, you know, barbecue sauce on my otherwise weight and measured, you know, chicken dish or whatever, you know, because I was like, no, I can handle a, a 
squirt of barbecue sauce. What's the big deal? I wasn't going to believe it because I was so far from that crushing binge, and I couldn't see the correlation between that first compulsive little bit that stayed in my system that then turned into, you know, the frappuccinos and drive-thrus. I couldn't see the connection. But here's someone who's fresh off a binge, sees it and feels it and knows their pain enough that they can have that gift of desperation. And the other thing I really want to highlight is the fact that it says, you know, don't talk about it with the family. Leave them out of it. This way he feels he's not under pressure. Because no matter what, this is my program, my recovery. It's my life. I came into this world alone. I'm leaving by myself, you know, and I can't do this for anyone but me. I can't do this for my family. I can't do it for my fiance. I can't do it for my parents. I can't do it for anyone but me. I have to want this. And being able to leave the family out of it and look someone straight in the eye and say, what do you want for your life and your recovery? I don't care what your mom did. I don't care what your job is like. I don't care about all those outside things. What's going on between your head? You know, just like someone had to say to me, what's going on between my two ears is what's most important. I have to live with that. I have to deal with, you know, the disease and my dissatisfaction and irritation and restlessness of my life. I do it all on my own because I have a self-will run riot. So keeping the external out of it and just focusing on the person and what's true to who they are as a compulsive eater for me, been like that jumping off point to a real step one experience. So thank you for letting me share, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you, Maureen H. And Christina J., it's your turn. Please go ahead, Christina. Thank you. Thank you for your service this morning and everyone on the line. You know, when I was uh, younger, I had a wooden leg with a hole in it, and I could eat whatever I wanted and not gain weight. I mean, it was out of control, and if I had a kid that ate like that, I don't know, I might pay attention, but um, today, knowing what I know, I wouldn't pressure. Uh, So as I came up through life, I was able to keep my weight in check. When I got 18, 19, 20, the weight started to come on because the wooden leg with a hole in it disappeared, and I had to start over-exercising like crazy to keep my perfection, and I never really felt I was perfect anyway. I always felt there was something wrong with me uh, physically, wasn't good enough, mentally, all that stuff. So when I got married the first time, you know, my husband didn't know I had a disease because I was in shape. And I worked hard through the years to stay in shape with diets and this and that and the other thing. But, you know, here's the point of it is that I always tried to control this. And I thought I could control it. So if a if a person was to approach my husband, which was my only family at the time, my husband expected me to be a California babe, you know, thin, uh, beautiful. I was, you know, I was the uh, candy on his arm, as they say. And um, he would make rude, mean comments. So if someone was to approach him about my eating and my weight, I would be horrified, and I probably would eat more. Um, I didn't know anything about program. I was in and out of the rooms here and there, one foot in, one foot out, not knowing anything about it until April of of uh, 2014, I think it was, when I heard the word recovered on the line. And at that point, long story short, I was ready to hear the message because I then had a second husband who loved me for just who I was, 
40 pounds, 50 pounds overweight at that time. The second husband saw me bloom up to 80 to 90 pounds overweight, never rejected me. That was such a beautiful gift. He never rejected me. So what I came to was my own bottom. I had to come to my own bottom in this disease and be scared at night to death by what was happening with me during the day. Under these conditions, uh, I wasn't under any pressure from my husband to get better. I had to do this for myself as the last person and a couple other people said on the line. I I had no nagging from my family. I had a nagging from inside myself. I felt horrible, sick, ugly, everything. Um, And when I got on these lines, I was jittery. I was in the food, and when I heard the word recovered, I was receptive because I was depressed. So when I'm working with people, this is what I look for. I look for that willingness, that jitteriness, that depression. I can't do this on my own, you know, and I'm not doing it for anybody else. I've got to do it for myself, and I'll finish up with this. I think it took all that to get me to this, as Ginger C. likes to say, that last beautiful bite, and um, then I was receptive, and God was there with me, pushing me to take the steps. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Christina J. We have time for a couple more shares. Who would like that time? This is Larry. Naomi B. Great. I've got Larry K. and Naomi B. Please go ahead, Larry. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate uh, the service and all the beautiful shares. You know, I, I wish working with others was easier. You know, it's um, it, it's it's the most gratifying thing, and it's also the thing that constantly um, is a reminder to me of my personal uh, powerlessness. And I need that reminder. You know, we're examining the dynamic of carrying this message. And, and looking at the the rest, you know the receptivity of, of of our prospect here, and it's challenging. And you know, here here's a question worthy for my consideration. You know, how do I speak, you know, to the deadly, hopeless nature of this disease because it is that, but do so in a way that my higher power would approve of. You know, I I, I want to be um, to practice these principles in all my affairs. I don't want to sugarcoat anything. So it's it's constantly trying to find that balance. It seems easier when the person is jittery and they're desperate. You know, the, the philosopher, um, I was reading recently, the philosopher Nietzsche, um, he talked about the spiritualization of hostility. <laughs> you know, that really hit me, the spiritualization of hostility. In other words, have, have I, am I, fra- you know, am I framing even subtle hostility towards others as spiritually okay? Would, would God approve of that? You know, am I, am I cloaking myself in some sort of moral superiority? I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't think God wants me to do that, all in the name of recovery. You know, um, I don't want to spiritualize uh, hostility and judgment. You know, I, want, I, I do want to spiritualize the spiritualization of kindness and compassion, yet no, I don't want to sugarcoat this. It, it's a hopeless, deadly disease. I, I absolutely will speak to that. But I don't want, you know, my personal narrative, you know, to shock someone into the, you know, into deference to me, you know, because, you know, it's like each lifetime is like the the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And for some, you know, of us, there's more pieces of that puzzle than, and for others, the puzzle is more difficult to assemble. 
and everyone carries with them at least one and, and, and probably many more pieces to someone else's puzzle. That's what we do here, right? Sometimes they know it and sometimes they don't know it. And when you present your, your, your piece to another, whether you know it or not, or whether they know it or not, you know, you're, you're a message from a higher, you're a messenger from a higher power. I'm just, uh, you know, we got this jigsaw puzzle. There was many people that had to, you know, that had a piece to my puzzle and you had this piece and you in the back of the room over there, you, you had another piece. And isn't that the beautiful tapestry of this stuff? So, um, yeah, it's not easy, but boy, oh boy, this thing works. With that, I pass. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Naomi B, you'll be wrapping up for us. Please go thank ahead. You. Oh, thank you, Lynn. Can you hear me okay? Mm. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Good morning, family. Well, uh, <clears throat> this is Naomi B, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I love going down memory lane. I really do. And, you know, when I stop and think of my journey, how I came into the rooms February 7th of 2011, and... I would attend the meeting, which is still my home meeting on Saturday mornings, and then leave there and go get my binge foods because I had no clue what you guys were talking about, none whatsoever. But finally, by around July, it kind of sunk into this thick skull. And I had the gift of desperation, and that was that was a beautiful moment for me. As crazy as my brain was, that was a beautiful, and, and it was like, I give up. I need help. And I remember telling someone I needed a sponsor. And, you know, I'm not going to say the teacher, but she was she was where, she was what I needed at the time. And it was just a beautiful moment because she gave me a food plan on a Friday night. Of course, I binged my head off Saturday and Sunday, being the true addict that I am. And we started to read the big book. And it was nothing like what we read the big book, but what it was, she was at where I needed. But all along then, she nagged me about listening to vision. And it just changed my life. It was slow. It was a progressive kind of thing, but it was, it was slow at the same time. And yet, thankfully, because she did nag me about vision, and then little by little, she had some health issues, so she went out. And then I came in, and I put my name out there. And this student was ready when my teacher appeared. And she took me through the big book, page by page, step by step. But I had that gift of desperation, and then I woke up, and God came into my life, and I was became recovered. And now fast forward as a sponsor, it's almost like a sadistic kind of thing when I hear someone say, oh, I'm just, I'm done. I don't know what else to do. It's like I'm sitting here smiling, not making fun, but joyful because I was there. I know what it is to be that desperate. It's like, okay, I'm going to follow directions. Follow directions laid out word by word, sentence by sentence as laid out in this big book. And it's amazing. It's just amazing. It's the best journey I've had and still going on because I know God's not done with me yet. And But just for today, yeah, I listen to Vision. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi B. 
Thank you to everyone who shared, and thank you to Team Thursday. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Thursday, February the 20th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 14145. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Allison L. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Please go ahead, Allison. Thank you. I'm Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.